0: It is ten thirty-five a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the very last day of July, twenty twenty-three. This is episode seven hundred and sixty-six of Bitcoin, and we got uh, quite a bit to cover. It's actually a kind of a heavy news day. Uh, start by saying farewell to Paul Rubens, uh, Pee Wee Herman. Uh, he died at the age of seventy, I guess, earlier today or late last night. Uh, but the official Pee Wee Herman account. Basically has said and uh, some news agencies has confirmed that Pee Wee Herman died in his battle uh, with cancer uh, today or or last night. Uh, dude was funny as shit, man. first time that I, ev- I ever saw him was in Cheech and Chong's next movie where he was playing the bellhop slash oh desk guy at this cheap ass hotel. And he was funny then. And he never stopped being funny. He was actually one of the most talented people that I've ever really seen. And so it's it's with a heavy heart that we have to say goodbye to Pee-Wee Herman. But you know, battling cancer at seventy, you know, it ain't like it's battling cancer in your forties or something like that. You're yeah, it's like you, that would have had to have been a hell of a fight. And apparently he had been battling this stuff for Years so join me in saying fuck cancer because I've got a friend with it right now, stage four. Not not happy about hearing that one at all. But um uh, yeah, cancer has touched me on several several occasions in my life. Not not in my body, but people around me have basically got various forms of it and have perished and. Now we have to say goodbye to Pee Wee Herman. Other than that, we are going to talk a little bit about Data Vending Machine, which is Pablo's idea. But it looks like it's been brought to life um, in a workable format by uh, a guy named CJ, I believe. And we'll get into a little bit of an audio demonstration on what CJ's uh talking about. It's kind of interesting. So if you've been wondering, if you've been hearing about what Data Vending Machine is and what the hell that it does... I think that this is going to end up being a, a pretty good explanation to start you know, wrapping your mind around, around what a data vending machine can do. And if clearly Pablo has got like, what, 87 projects that he's in the various stages of completing, uh, mostly around NOSTER, if not all of them. And a data vending machine is no different. Uh, also, speaking of NOSTER and <laughs> using it, for various things. We're going to talk about Geyser a little bit. Uh, SEC is really mad at Richard Hart, finally. I have been waiting for this one for a while, but we've got that and, and much more to cover, so let's go ahead and dive in. We'll start with Jesse Coin Cointelegraph. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong says that the SEC told him to delist everything but Bitcoin, according to a report. All right. Crypto exchange. Coinbase was once told by the United States securities regulator to delist all cryptocurrencies on its platform, except for Bitcoin, according to CEO Brian Armstrong. In a July 31st interview, that's today. okay? that's right. He did this just popped out in a July 31st interview with the Financial Times. Armstrong revealed that the United States Securities and Exchange Commission wanted the exchange to delist the nearly 250 tokens on its platform prior to it filing a lawsuit against the exchange. At the time, the SEC reportedly said it believes every asset other than Bitcoin is a security, said Armstrong. Quote, we said, well, how are you coming to that conclusion? Because that's not our interpretation of the law, Armstrong added. He recounted that the regulator said, quote, we're not going to explain it to you. You need to delist every asset other than Bitcoin, end quote. It's a similar view held by SEC chair Gary Gensler, who claimed in a February New York magazine interview that everything other than Bitcoin is a security under the agency's remit. Uh, Armstrong said that agreeing to the SEC's request could have set a precedent and would have essentially meant the end of the cryptocurrency industry in the United States. The SEC then sued Coinbase in early June, alleging it operated as an unregistered exchange and named 13 cryptocurrencies it said Coinbase offered as unregistered securities days earlier. The regulator filed, filed a similar complaint against Binance. The SEC told the Financial Times that its enforcement division does not make formal requests for companies to delist crypto assets, but that its staff may share its view on what actions could violate securities law. Crypto industry oversight in the United States hasn't landed on any one regulator, and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and the SEC have both taken regulatory action against crypto industry players. Legislation that would mostly hand crypto jurisdiction to the CFTC and clarify the SEC's crypto-related role passed the House Agricultural Committee on July 27th after its earlier passage through the House Financial Services Committee. All right, so if you're wondering why agriculture is anywhere close to having something to do with this, it's because it's the oversight body for the Commodities commodities and Futures uh, Trading Commission, so the CFTC is underneath the Department of Ag. Why? Well, because commodities, generally speaking, are agricultural products. Pork bellies, frozen concentrated orange juice, for those of you who are having flashbacks to Trading Places. I don't blame you. That's actually a really good Christmas movie that's sort of been lost to time. If you haven't seen uh, Trading Places with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy, it's, dude, totally worth it. But for the most part, the CFTC has been basically talking about food commodities, right? Oil is a commodity. No, you can't eat it. I get it. But generally speaking, we just haven't changed who the CFTC's oversight body is. So it remains with the Agricultural Committee. So that's why agriculture is is sort of in this, this whole mix. What I take issue with, actually, I'm not taking issue with anything. Here, here's what I'm going to kind of break down what happened it seems to me that Brian Armstrong put himself in the possibility of being very, in very hot water with the United States government by saying this, because he's not saying who told him. He's not saying if it was an opinion by the person that he was talking to, right? He, and the way it makes it sound is that this was a, oh what, what should we say, an official edict passed down by the SEC directly to Coinbase as a set of instructions on how to proceed. And according to the, uh, not CFTC, SEC, but according to the SEC, their get out of jail free card on this was like, hey, you know, one of our guys might've said what they should probably do, but this didn't come from us. So now we've got a situation where in the Financial Times, which is sadly one of the most read financial magazines on the planet, <clears throat> or newspapers, magazine, whatever you want to call it, it's it's well read. Okay, a lot of people pick up the Financial Times, and here you got Brian Armstrong pointing the finger at the SEC, saying that they told him to delist everything but Bitcoin. This brings up another point: as much as I hate shitcoinery and the and the clown show that is cryptocurrency, right? How is a Exchange supposed to survive on one cryptocurrency, namely, in this case, Bitcoin. If they delist everything, what they have is Bitcoin and the ability to have fiat rails incoming and outgoing to convert fiat to Bitcoin and then Bitcoin back to fiat, depending on the day and who's trading and who wants to be done. So honestly, what happens there is that Coinbase has to close down. And Krakenwood would too. Now, there's this is there's no I'm not defending the exchanges. I don't think they should actually exist at all because that's all it's been is there. That's how they get their money. They take fees from people who want to dabble into everything that's going to finally get them wrecked, except for Bitcoin, except for Bitcoin. So from that standpoint, there's no need for an exchange. There's stuff like River Swan uh cash app uh what else what else is out there Um, strike where we can buy bitcoin directly for fiat rails directly from a bank accounts and if you want to do it with a more in a more kyc uh, act you've got BISC, you've got Hoddle hoddle, and you've got a couple of other places that you can go buy bitcoin with with fiat it's or you can just buy it and buy it with cash at like a meetup. Like go to a Bitcoin meetup and ask somebody if they're willing to part with their Bitcoin for cash on hand. And boom, you got, you got yourself some KYC free Bitcoin. But yeah, I, I'm not sure that this is, I'm not sure that Brian Armstrong really thought this through. Because now the SEC is going to be extra pissed. So he didn't do his shareholders any favors, now did he? And this is the kind of man that is quote unquote a leader in the cryptocurrency industry. Yeah, yeah, let that let that sink in. Okay. <clears throat> so we've been talking about uh something happened over the weekend with Jason Lowry's uh Twitter account, right? Jason Lowry is the author of the book, which was his PhD dissertation for I guess at MIT, uh called Soft War, right? So it turned it, it look here's if you don't know what happened, here's what it this is what it looks like happened is that at one point or another jason put out a tweet on dead bird app that was basically a you send me bitcoin i will send you more bitcoin back the the oldest trick in the book gave a wallet address at the time that it came out i think i was like a couple of hours behind the release of that tweet there was only something like 0.005 bitcoin in that wallet address Hardly anybody at the time took the bait later on. So and then the conjecture for on my part was that he's either turned into a complete and total douchebag by doing this because we all know what this scam is or his Twitter account got hacked. A few hours later, he said that he got SIM swapped on his phone and that somebody had hijacked his Twitter account and, and put that post out there. If for whatever reason you know somebody who's thinking about doing that because they trust Jason Lowry, A, I wouldn't trust the guy. I'm not sure if he's above board or not. I just don't know. And because I don't know, I just tend to like not, not trust. Okay. It doesn't mean that I think he's a bad person. It just means that I don't know him well enough to wad a shotgun. In either event, if you know somebody who's thinking about doing that, you you know what to do. You gotta tell them no, right? And that's the problem with influencers on Twitter is that they have such a huge following that they end up themselves becoming targets for the SIM swap. Nobody's going to SIM swap me (laughs) if they, if they do that, that totally sucks for them because I'm not on Twitter and I don't have like much of a, and I'm not on Instagram either because they booted me off there because of telling somebody to have fun staying poor or, cry harder on on threads so they killed me on threads and then they took my uh, associated Instagram account down with it so I'm just not an influencer right the only if I have any flu- any influence at all is just on Noster because that's the only thing that I give a shit about right so just but be aware that was that was happening with Jason Lowry's uh Twitter account all right so just be careful out there and that leads us into this piece from Sydney Bright from Bitcoin Magazine soft war, abstract thinking, and how Bitcoin solves a Neolithic problem. Bitcoin is not merely a medium of exchange. That is not to say that Bitcoin is not money. Bitcoin is undoubtedly money. However, to think it is merely a technological innovation that transcends the archaic systems of the Federal Reserve, legacy banking, Visa, MasterCard, and so on, would be a profoundly erroneous error. Bitcoin solves a problem that ironically was both the catalyst for the Neolithic era and something that has plagued humanity for thousands of years. The use of our abstract minds to rely on symbolism and create greater cooperation amongst our species. Money is but one result of the abstract thinking mind of the human being, which similarly gave rise to complex language and the use of symbols and storytelling. This Catch-22 is evident through the synthesis of the power projection theory outlined in Softwar by Jason Lowry, a member of the U.S. Space Force, and my own Calm Pond theory, which is described below. In short, these two theories highlight how the massive developmental breakthroughs achieved by our abstract minds comes with their own drawbacks, which have been unresolvable until the invention of Bitcoin. The Calm Pond Theory My theory suggests that a mind characterized by mindfulness optimizes the brain's ability to regulate and maintain health within the body and grants an individual a more accurate interpretation of reality itself. Consider that the brain receives a deluge of neurotransmitters to comprehend the state of the body and the external world. To properly understand the incoming information and react accordingly, it constructs a model constantly testing, refining, and rectifying it to enhance the model's accuracy, a process we experience as consciousness. Now envision the brain as a pond, where raindrops represent neurotransmitters gently hitting the pond and forming ripples that serve as the key to interpreting information. When the pond is calm, these ripples are distinct and easily discernible, enabling accurate interpretation, however... The demand of our modern world imposes endless mental rumination, causing a rainstorm of neuronal activity. The numerous ripples formed in a rainstorm collide and interfere with one one another, making it significantly more challenging for the brain to construct an accurate model of the world since understanding individual ripples become nearly impossible. It is likely that a state of mind akin to a calm pond is what was typical for more ancient human beings, highlighting a tremendous health concern when one considers the fact that we are building a technological society that requires most of us to be using our analytical minds constantly to maintain its structure. In other words, the mental process necessary for us to build this beautiful ivory tower is making our minds And our bodies very sick. The power projection theory. Before addressing how Bitcoin solves this millennia-old problem, let us first recognize the similarity between the above idea and the conclusions of power projection theory. Our abstract minds not only give rise to money and logical thinking, but it also gave us the ability to use symbolic language through storytelling. Lowry's thesis, fully titled Softwar, A Novel Theory of Power Projection and the National Strategic Significance of Bitcoin describes how energy and life formed by using energy, referred to as power, to sequester other energy, referred to as resources, away from the environment to be used for more personal gain. This can be observed not only in the first prokaryotic cells that formed in the hydrothermal vents that exist in the fissures of the seafloor, but also in the way animals behave in the wild. As Lowry explains, at the cellular level, a lipid bilayer was formed on the seafloor which projected power by creating a physical barrier that trapped resources, facilitating chemical reactions leading to a biological system. At the level of multicellular organisms, Lowry uses the illustration of wolves snarling their fangs at a would-be thief of their recently acquired game to broadcast the information that the cost of stealing the resources would be higher than the benefit gained from the food. Here, the wolf is projecting power to keep its resources. Following such reasoning, pack animals such as wolves must create power hierarchies within their own communities so that the strongest wolf, most capable of efficient power projection, is fed and allowed to reproduce and the pack can have the most power projection capabilities to protect their resources. To do so, Wolves must physically fight amongst themselves. This is an unfortunate requirement, Lowry points out, as two wolves will fight until one wolf has their fangs on the jugular of another to prove superiority. The physicality required to create power hierarchies can therefore prove dangerous and fratricidal. According to Lowry, other animals such as deer solve this issue with the development of antlers, which allow them to project power against other species, but leads to save competition within their own species as the antlers simply tangle when they butt heads with a diminished risk of fatal wounds. In this way, deer developed a biological method of managing internal power hierarchies and therefore internal resource management using physical power, but with a relatively decreased risk of fratricide. Lowry argues that humans have developed a similar method of internal organization through our abstract thinking, even though it comes with a significant cost. He puts forth the idea, through language and storytelling, human beings developed a form of abstract power projection to organize resources without physical violence. There are many examples of this, such as the development of the judicial systems in which abstract power is placed in the hands of a judge and state so that they can manage resources in a peaceful manner. Of course, physical force is still used within human societies to manage resources, yet... There is a constant effort through language and reasoning to avoid such physical violence and for us to manage our resources peacefully. The importance of the power projection theory is made evident when one realizes that nature only understands the organization of resources through physical power. Physical energy is used to manage resource energy. Put another way, nature does not recognize the management of resources through any other means, including abstract power projection. Therefore. Human beings are stuck in a problematic cycle in which we attempt to organize our societies and resources through abstract power projection, only to have them collapse under the weight of their hollow foundation through physical power projection. To our understandable discontent and frustration, war and revolutions are constantly occurring as nature's only proper mechanism for organizing resources. These two theories share the common theme that human beings' use of abstract thinking gave rise to dilemmas of conflicting requirements. In the case of the Calm-Pond theory, to build this complex society that increases economic well-being, we are forced to use our minds in a chronically analytical way which deteriorates our bodies and our minds' ability to regulate themselves and maintain health and well-being properly. In the case of power projection theory, to build a more peaceful society, we have used abstract thinking to construct stories of conceptual power structures that lead to a cycle of temporary peace and inevitable war because, ultimately, nature can only manage resources through physical power. The solution to both issues? You guessed it, Bitcoin. Though offering a bleak outlook on how humans must organize themselves, Lowry provides hope by highlighting how Bitcoin manages resources using physical power. In other words, it is the technological antler of human beings. It ultimately solves the frail nature of our abstract power system, making it obsolete while replacing it with a nonviolent means of using physical power to manage our resources. The solution for the Calm Pond theory's conclusions are outlined in a previous article for Bitcoin magazine, How Bitcoin and Artificial Intelligence Will Free Your Time. In short, the computer, of which Bitcoin is but one aspect, is a thinking machine designed to perform all of the tasks that our abstract thinking mind can. Most notably, it can think logically and manage our money. As we slowly build this machine, and make it more and more capable of thinking for us. It will gradually alleviate our need to use abstract minds to maintain our society personally. This will give us the freedom to pursue lives more focused on mindfulness and physical well-being. The computer with Bitcoin lifts the burden off of our shoulders so that our minds can be unrestricted, calm, and once again more aligned with our true natures. Bitcoin is more than just money. It is a revolutionary technology that solves some of humanity's most ancient problems. With these problems being solved, humanity is entering an unprecedented time in history, potentially characterized by an unparalleled rise in societal and mental peace and harmony. Okay, that was Sidney Bright from Bitcoin Magazine, by the way. I, okay, that's a good piece. I like it. Um, what One of the things that I have bitched about... For years now, and you know, and none, none the least on this show, more than a few handfuls of times, is that we as humans we've been maneuvered into having to deal with shit that actually doesn't matter for hundreds of years, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And that's where that calm pond theory kind of comes in. You know, how many you know, Native Americans before European settlement uh, was worrying about their taxes? And having to fill out paperwork and having to make several phone calls to get a whole bunch of shit together so that they can mail it to their accountant, which they will have, you know, other discussions with as well. And then have to work their ass off to get a whole bunch of money so that they can actually pay their taxes. (laughs) It's, you see where I'm going with this? You know, like, oh, have, you know, now we have cars. And I'm not saying give, that everybody should give up everything. I'm just saying that it seems fairly clear to me that we've really we've really put the hurt on humanity by distract you know these just distraction after distraction after distraction that moves our mental prowess instead of contemplating who we are where we are how we fit in with nature we're having to worry about what Biden's going to do next week or what Ukraine and and Russia are what's going to happen over there or Taiwan or God forbid. Now this, now apparently the United States is meddling in the Sudan. It just goes. And that's, I mean, that's like five things in a row. There's 500 million things that have been, you know, put upon the human species over the last 10,000, 15,000 years when we started agriculture, it's just got more messy and messy and messy And now it's almost as if we're living our lives simply to, I don't know, placate everybody but us, everybody else. We're trying to figure out how to solve our problems that have been imposed or problems that have been imposed upon us by people we don't even know. We've never met. They've never been over to our house for dinner. And Lowry, you know, I, I bitched about him a couple of times before because I, I have not read his thesis. I, I kind of I only like reading books about soil right now and, you know, mycorrhizal fungi and whatnot like that. That's where I'm devoting most of my off, you know, when I'm not reading to you on air, I'm reading to myself books about soil and pasture management. Right now, I don't have time for Lowry's thing. That's why I read this one. Right. So in case you are in that same boat rowing in the same direction with me that you don't really want to read the 277 pages of his, you know, PDF or his book or whatever, then this kind of gives a nice little breakdown. And I don't disagree with Jason Lowry's, you know, uh, theory that nature uses physical force to organize resources. Oil is buried deep underground. You have to physically force your way. For a very, you know, to 800 feet, 1,000 feet, you know, sometimes like in the early days, you could probably strike oil at 100 feet. But after we, you know, sucked a lot of it out of the ground, you got to go deeper. And now we go, now we're going horizontal. You know, that's power projection. He's not wrong. So uh, I got to give him the benefit of the doubt here. You know, and and with that whole debacle of, of, you know, send me a Bitcoin and I'll send you 1.005 Bitcoin or whatever that was. I am inclined to believe that he didn't do that. Somebody, you know, as much shit as he's caught and for as long as he's been in the game and he's never done that before, I am inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt that somebody did, in fact, SIM swap him. Do I know that for a fact? No, I do not. But I am going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Somebody who I'm not going to give the benefit of the doubt to is Richard Hart. Thankfully, the SEC has charged the Hex founder, Richard Hart, with $1 billion unregistered securities offering. Liam Kelly and Connor Stefton is writing it for Decrypt. The SEC has charged Richard Hart, the founder of the crypto project Hex, with allegedly conducting an unregistered security offering that raised more than $1 billion. The commission also included three unincorporated entities in its charge, Pulse Chain, Pulse X, and Hex. Hart and PulseChain are also facing charges for allegedly using $12 million in the offering's proceeds to buy luxury goods, including a 555-carat black diamond called the Enigma. Quote, Hart began marketing Hex in 2018, claiming it was the first high-yield blockchain certificate of deposit and began promoting Hex tokens as an investment designed to make people rich, read the SEC's complaint. The SEC is also taking a dim view of a staking feature that Hart claimed would deliver returns of 38% and alleges that he deliberately attempted to evade securities law by using Hex investors to sacrifice crypto assets instead of investing them. Hart called on investigators to buy, no, sorry, Hart called on investors to buy crypto asset securities and offerings that he failed to register. He then defrauded those investors by spending some of their crypto assets on exorbitant luxury goods, Eric Werner, director of the Fort Worth Regional Office, said. The SEC's lawsuit has been filed in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of New York and claims Hart boasted that Hex, quote, was built to be the highest appreciating asset that has ever existed in the history of mankind, end quote. It also contained frequent quotes from his YouTube live streams, including one in 2019 where he declared, quote, if you want to get rich, Hex is built for that. And this is where Hart and Hex run headlong into the Howey test, which is used to determine whether an asset is a security, meaning investors have a reasonable expectation of profits. The misappropriation of funds highlighted in the SEC's lawsuit actually relates to an offering for Pulse Chain, which was also unregistered and began in July of 2021. It alleged that Hart splashed out $534,000 on a McLaren sports car, 314000 on a Ferrari Roma, and over $3.4 million on, count them, five Rolex watches. A third unregistered securities offering, this time for Pulse X, also comes into the SEC's crosshair, with Hart once again predicting that appreciation of 10,000 X in two years is well within the realm of possibility. The SEC's filing notes that massive price depreciation for HEX. Pulsecoin and PulseX, quote, at present, Pulse and PulseX are practically worthless and Hex's value has dropped about 98.4% below its all-time high, the lawsuit says. (laughs) The SEC is now demanding a jury trial. Oh, and among its demands, it wants to permanently ban Hart as well as his projects from selling crypto asset securities. The commission also wants to recoup ill-gotten gains, secure pre-judgment interest, and have civil penalties imposed. So finally, finally, Richard Hart is under the crosshairs of the SEC. And I was wondering how long it was going to take them to do that because he's just one of the worst. And all the hexagons out there that basically got <clears throat> lunched because they got they, they've been getting rugged for years now. But you have to remember that Hex wasn't where Richard Hart started. And while I cannot remember the name of the original project, it was <clears throat> a it was essentially he was Essentially he duped people. He just came on the scene and somehow or another was able to through I guess master strokes of marketing become an influencer almost immediately on Twitter. And then he released this project that was going to use proof of work to mine a coin, and that that proof of work, to solve that proof of work, was essentially solving fluid dynamics problems. It was sort of like a cross between the search for extraterrestrial intelligence that is farmed out to everybody's CPU, the SETI project, or the folding at home project, It was sort of that combined with mining and the the whole theory was if you're going to do this mathematical work, it should also produce something of value on the other side other than just the token. It should solve mathematical problems and fluid dynamics is, well, it's a bunch of different, difficult, very difficult problems. Um, So that's how he duped people into getting into his first project. He then, after a while, kind of converted that into hex. And I don't know if it's the same chain or if he completely revamped it or you had somebody revamp it for him to create hex, but Richard was here for at least, see if they're, see if they're saying 2019, I knew about this guy from at least 2016, if not the end of 2015. And that's when he was, he, for three years, he was, he was touting that bullshit fluid dynamics coin, whatever the hell it was called. So This is basically a second, third, and fourth rodeo when it comes to offering people garbage for their real actual money that represents the time on this planet. I hope he goes down. Uh, I I don't know how they're going to get him because as far as I know, he lives in Central America. I don't know if he lives in the United States, honestly. I don't know if anybody really knows where this cat's at. I know that he spent a good amount of time down in Panama. And there's a whole bunch of shit that happened down there. But be that as it may, we'll just have to see how this one goes. I mean, because I just don't see him showing up at at court in the Eastern Eastern District of New York any time soon. Curve Finance. You want to talk about getting rugged? Let's go. Curve Finance has been drained of $50 million while CRV token sinks 12%. In yet the latest DeFi exploit, Coindesk's Sam Kessler, Danny Nelson, and Shara Malwa are writing at Curve, a stablecoin exchange at the heart of decentralized finance on Ethereum, has been the victim of an exploit. Curve relies on smart contracts instead of middlemen to offer financial services such as stablecoin borrowing, trading, and lending. Depositors on Curve earn annual yields of up to 4% from one of the many pools on the platform. Upwards of $100 million worth of cryptocurrency are at risk due to a reentrancy bug in Viper, a programming language used to power parts of the Curve ecosystem. Several stablecoin pools on the platform have been drained by hackers so far, quote, as a result of an issue in Viper compiler in versions or 0.2.15 to 0.3.0 following pools were hacked. The CRV Ethereum, the Aleth Ethereum, the MSeth Ethereum, and the Peth Ethereum, Curve tweeted on Monday. Reentrancy is a common bug that allows att- attackers to trick a smart contract by making repeated calls to a protocol in order to steal assets. A call is authorization for the smart contract address to interact with a user's wallet address. It is unclear at press time how much had been drained from Curve as the result of the attack. Block SEC, a blockchain auditing firm, estimated the total losses above $42 million in a preliminary analysis posted on Twitter Chief executive officer Taryn Chitra and founder of crypto risk modeling firm Gauntlet estimated the Explorer made away with $20 million of CRV and a version of Ether. Elsewhere, lending and borrowing protocol Aave disabled its CRV borrowing function amid the panic. A massive 100 million CRV debt from Curve founder Michael Ergov on Aave is nearing liquidation and. If CRV prices were to continue to rise and reach the liquidation threshold, the protocols will have to liquidate the CRV positions. (laughs) In a related story, a white hat hacker sends funds. Here, there's this one. Uh, Curve Finance has managed to get some of the money back thanks to a bot operator, coffee babe ETH returning 2,879 ETH worth nearly 5.5 million at current prices to the platform. These funds were ethically stolen from the hacker by front running their malicious transaction. Uh, the heist destabilized trading markets for curve Dow's native CRV token, which was down 17% on the day at a price of 61 cents. As of press time, that price action threatened to compound the chaos by potentially forcing a liquidation on the founder of Curve's 70 million dollar borrowing position on Ave. Please stop doing DeFi. There nothing good comes out of any of this shit. All right. So let's just, let's pause. Let's pause and hear from the Circle P vendor of the day, which is Beisnerds. That's right, Bysnerds, uh, my good friend Maple Trade. Uh if you want good maple syrup, you're going to go to Beisnerds. It's at B I B E. Sorry, excuse me, B E I S N E R D S. Both on Twitter and on Noster. His inpub will be in the show notes. Yes, I know people are having problems with the show notes on Fountain. It works on other platforms. I I promise. One of these days, Fountain's going to get around to that. But they're you know they're kind of slammed with other things right now. But if you want handmade maple syrup, he makes it. He doesn't buy it from somebody else and then resells it. He makes it off of the land that he's, he's managing from the maple trees that are on that property. He's doing everything by hand. It's the best maple syrup I've ever had. And if you buy any kind of maple syrup or possibly even the soaps that his sister Sarah makes, his sister Sarah soaps, um, I get a kind of a cut that's why he's in the circle P I sold a uh, quite a bit, quite a few mother's day baskets for him, uh, back in, uh, was it May or whatever mother's day is. <clears throat> and, uh, if you go to, uh, find him on Twitter at buys uh, or on Noster at his N which again will be in the show notes. Uh, maybe I can get, uh, some of those sweet, sweet Satoshis. Now, what do we got here? Ah, uh, yes. um, you know what let's let's run numbers first and then we'll start with the uh, whole data vending machine thing. We got West Texas intermediate crude oil up a point and a quarter today finally broke the $80 uh, psychological barrier there it's at $81.60 Brent Sea is up over half a point to 85.48 natural gas is down scant 0.1% to the downside to 263 gasoline is down uh, it's off by over a point wow two dollars and ninety two cents per gallon gold is up almost half a point over two thousand again finally to two thousand and nine dollars flat and we got silver up one point nine platinum is up over two points copper is up over two points as well and palladium reaching for the stands three point five four percent of the upside uh, agriculture is fully mixed. Lumber is down 1.36%, but wheat taking the biggest brunt of the red, 5.86% to the downside. Uh, what's the biggest winner today is going to be coffee, almost 5% to the upside. So some pretty serious swings in agriculture going on today. I got live cattle up scant. Lean hogs are up 1.12%. Feeder cattle is up 008 The Dow is also up 0.08%. S&P is up 0.01. Nasdaq is down 0.02 and the S&P mini is up a full quarter of a point. Looks like there's a lot of sideways action going on in in there, which is kind of odd because we got our CPI, we got our uh CPE, we got our infl you know what the Fed was going to do with inflation or uh, its uh interest rates. Not quite sure what the people are waiting for on this Monday, unless something else is going on. Uh, I got, let's see, I got a $29,242.61 price tag on real money today. That's uh, 0.267 BTC in average transaction values. Median transaction value is under 10 cents. So yeah, the idiots with their... NFTs are going strong today, but block times are extremely low. Eight minutes and 47 seconds. It looks like uh, 0.1 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 17 and a quarter overall in the last 24 hours with a, holy shit, with a 25.5% increase in hash rate. According to BitInfo charts, we are at 426 uh, exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, 7.8 United States pennies. We have a $567.8 billion market cap. That is 4.3% of gold's market cap. There's 19,444,180.5 BTC in circulation. 4,705 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $137.4 million being run over 16,340 nodes that we know about and 68,785 payment channels that we can see. 72.4% of all that is being run over Tor. Looks like we have, I don't know, it's not mempools are not bad, 110, 111 blocks carrying 293 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear with high-priority fees of 11 satoshis per vbyte, low-priority transaction fees at 9. Anything under 3 satoshis per vbyte are being purged from mempools around the world. And we, according to mempool.space, are at 399.7 exahashes per second. So yeah, post-difficult poll, ah, yeah, can't, can't even talk. Post-difficulty, we always see these wild swings just after the difficulty change, and today is not any different. I'm number 27 on Fountain Charts. Uh, this is from Tar with a row of ducks, 22-22. People are probably just enjoying Midsummer. Cheers. Uh, Stephen Gornick comes back and says this, and I think this is important because we'll figure out what, what Pitar was talking about this, exactly this eight months of winter and cold here becomes beautiful weather. So the very last thing on my mind today is wondering what is the latest news from the Bitcoin ecosystem? If it wasn't that I showered, which is primarily when I listened to podcasts for a second time today because it's hot and I was outside doing stuff, I probably wouldn't have even listened to this episode myself. Come months like January, though, and Bitcoin has my full undivided attention. So that may be a clue as to why the hell my listenership basically evaporated. Because it's summer. You guys are out doing stuff. So go touch grass. It's okay. Uh, Axelrod with a thousand says support through the last stretch of the longest bear. God, I hear you, man. Pipe bomb with a thousand with thumbs up emoji pies with a hundred says top 10 LFG Dubrovko with a thousand says apologies on the misspell. The gray tribe member with the red tribe malware, Elon Musk with the faux conservative brain, the three plus hour episode of TFTC actually 426 episode titled Fiat Crisis Explain the Blue, Red, and Gray Tribes. It was very interesting. Yeah, I listened to that too, and it was pretty interesting. Dubrovko comes back and says, Black Rock uh wait. Admitting, I think it, it says so. T- admitting, but I think it says BlackRock admitting that Bitcoin is good for the environment is just the chef's kiss on the full circle of misinformation, disinformation, God's death. That with three seventy says thank you, no thank you. User with a shit ton of numbers with a hundred says good. All right, pies with a hundred says thank you, sir, no thank you, and that's the weather report. Okay, welcome to part two of the news that you can use. We're going to start this one off with uh, the whole data vending machine thing that I was telling you about at the front of the show. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to read you Pablo's note here. And in that note, he has a link to the YouTube video, which you're going to hear the audio of. So hold on for a sec. Let's just read this first. Pablo says, and this is Pablo F7Z says, someone I don't know and have never communicated with, has built a full proof-of-concept data vending machine. I randomly bumped into it on Bird app. I expect a whole lot more of this as the vast amount of use cases and the endless composability possibilities are explored. Imagine this user interface with NIP47, you know, Nostra Wallet Connect, where low-value jobs to not spammy service providers is auto-magically paid for you. Okay, so I'm going to play – this is like this is going to be about a six-minute audio clip of CJ, which is the guy that he's talking about, uh, demonstrating his um, data vending machine. So I'll let you do that, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about it here in a sec.
1: Hey, everyone. This is CJ. I want to talk about Photobolt. Photobolt is a software that takes a product image – and convert it into a poster. So the way it works is there's a client and a service provider. The client would prompt the user for a couple images as well as a couple text prompts. It would then create a list of tasks that need to be completed in order to produce the poster. So the client is not actually doing the work. It's going to outsource it to the service provider. So the client builds this list of job requests and then publishes it to the Noster Network. On the other side, you have service providers actively scanning the network for these job requests and they will accept the job request by prompting the client for a payment and once the client makes a payment service provider will process the job and then return the result to the client via Noster Network. So here I am going to showcase what I just talked about using the PhotoBoat front-end UI. I am going to first upload a product image as well as enter a prompt, just going to say a whiskey bottle by the beach. I'm also going to upload a logo just as a reference for the generative AI. And I'm going to say I want a whiskey glass client has all it needs and we're going to submit the job request. So here you can see that the client has sent out five different job requests and we already got response for the first two. The service provider is saying that it could process this job for 10 sets. So I'm going to go ahead and pay with my LB wallet using WebLN. So paid, paid, the service provider um, comes back to us saying that it's processing. It will be ready in a moment. I'm going to go ahead and pay for the second job as well. Cool. Now the first job is done. As you can see, it did a pretty good job. The job is to actually have the background of the product image removed. And you can see here, It's uh, it's pretty good. Now the, the third job is free um is became available to work on. I'm going to go ahead and pay it as well. So both the second and third job are completed and the fourth one is now available to be worked on. Let's go ahead and pay it. Fourth one is done. And the fifth one has become available. The final step. And we are done here. We have our poster, our product by the beach with a whiskey glass logo at the top. So let's go through what just happened. We, the client sent out five job requests and the first two are immediately they were immediately available to be worked on because they don't have any sort of dependency. The in, input to these job requests are just simply the images that the client provide. The remaining of the job requests couldn't be worked on immediately because they depend on these two jobs to complete first. And as you can see, after each job, we get an intermediate result, and this is, these are the results that get fed into the subsequent jobs. For example, the third job, where we would generate a background for our poster, it depends on the first one. And the fourth one, where we, will, we would overlay the product on the background, it depends on the third one. And the final step, where we would overlay the logo on the, in, on the generated product, background depends on fourth and second so keep in mind that each of these steps they could be worked on by different service providers so here I have two service providers running in the background and for some reason (laughs) the first service provider got all first four jobs and then the second service provider got the got the fifth one so the second service provider could have been taken up any of these job requests. It's just that um, somehow the first one was faster than the other one. Also notice that there, there were little downtime between each job because the service provider, they are actively they are competing with each other trying to get the job done just to make some money. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it for this demo. Um, the next step is to make this um, client a lot smarter by maybe integrating something like AutoGPT, where instead of hard coding this client to only perform poster generation, we could have the AutoGPT scan the entire Noster network, look for the services that are available, and then from there derive a list of Thing, things that are possible for a client to to do i think that will make the client a lot more smarter
0: now i know that that was rather long you know six minutes but this this is an important concept right because i was trying to wrap my head around what the hell it was that pablo was trying to tell or or say when he was talking about first started talking about the data vending machine i'm like And I've heard other people talk about it and it just never became clear. And it wasn't until I was, you know, listening to this guy and, and well also watching his, his video. But uh, so I'm going to kind of describe what's going on in the UX. I mean, so this is called photo bolt, right? Which makes a lot of sense. And essentially it's just product photography. All right. So it's a, like, if I need like a picture to make a poster or, uh, like, I don't know, like something for, you know, an advertisement of like a product, like it, it could be anything. And in, in his case, it was a bottle, bottle of Macallan whiskey. And so he he basically outsources. There's this, there's a couple of places where you, where you can put your request in the first one, it says, upload a product image and enter a prompt. All right. Then you say upload. Then the second part is upload a logo image and enter prompt. So we have a product and a logo, right? So basically it's saying, you know, in this particular case, he just found like this bottle of Macallan. And what he wanted to do was to take out the background of that picture and just leave the bottle. All right. And then basically combine that with a logo on a, you know, all in front of a sandy beach. And so what happened is that when he put that in there, It started reaching out to what I can only describe as a, you know, certain artificial intelligence agents that start looking for artificial intelligence, you know, things that can do stuff like pull, you know, the background out of an or pull the the foreground off of a background and then be able to do all the other other stuff. So what it ended up doing is it ended up with like five or six different request returns saying, look, I can I can do this one. And then he paid him 10 sats. And then the second one became available. And then you could do that one. And then all of a sudden, when you get to the very end, at the, the very last stage, it provides a full picture of the original stuff that he put in that was modified in the way that he described in the prompt. So it's not just like, make me a fake, you know, uh picture of uh, some nondescript bottle of whiskey. It was like, no, I need you to use the Macallan bottle of whiskey you know, like pretending it's the product that's involved here and I need you to do all these steps with it. And this data vending machine, now I get it. Now I understand what all these people are are finally trying to say. It's like it's saying, look, I understand your request and I have the ability to reach out to all these agents and query them and ask them, can they do this particular job? And then I will return all the requests for you of the people that said, yes, and here's my price they all happen to be like 10 Satoshis, but, you know, they could be varying prices. Think of it as instead of getting returned, you know, five steps that he could have done, that there was 20. And some of them were five sats. Some of them were 10 sats. Some of them were 15. Some of them were 20. Maybe some of them were even more expensive than that. And then he'd be able to say which ones did he want. Does he want to use all, all the ones that cost the highest amount of Satoshis? Does he want to use all the lowest ones? Does he want to use a mix of all of these steps that cost a certain amount of Satoshis, and through that, those actions of selecting which ones that he actually wants to pay for, that generates him a final output. And that's just on a product picture. Like being able to put a, you know, like a magazine ad, a, otherwise known as a poster, right? That's why when he says poster, that's what he's talking about. It doesn't mean a poster I buy at Spencer's and put some, you know, put on my wall. I, it's like what you're going to throw into the magazine. Now, the picture that was output wasn't very good. I, I, I'll give it that. But honestly, that's not really the point The that will get better as well as the UX of this particular system will get better too. But the fact that you can do it at all is amazing. All right. So that's one of the ways that AI is, that's one of the reasons why I bring you the AI stuff is because you're not getting away from it. You can wish it away. You can say, I don't ever want to hear you talk about AI again. And sure. I I guess I could say yes. And I won't tell you anything about AI ever again but is that going to make AI go away for you? No, no it's not. And if you re- if you refuse to if you refuse to become unignorant about it, you're going to be in real danger. Right? So just understand what's going on out there. And this is coming fast. This data vending machine was just an idea that Pablo had like a couple of weeks ago. And as far as I can tell from Pablo, this is the first proof of concept, a workable proof of concept, that even Pablo has seen. So he had the idea, this guy brought it to life. So CJ, somebody you definitely want to watch, uh, if you want to get to him on Noster, try going to Chua, C-H-U-A, at console.io that is spelled C-O-N-Z, no, C-O-N-X-O-L-E dot I-O. That's Chua at Konzol dot I-O. And check him out because he's he put this together really quick. Now, <clears throat> on, to, um, on to other nations, other continents. Bitcoin Magazine, Becca Bratcher, Togolese activist Farida Naburima, On Avoiding Government Censorship and Bitcoin for Youngsters. Bitcoin is a geographic chameleon. And as such, this magic internet money that lives on a decentralized, permissionless system is changing the world right in front of us. One of Bitcoin's many superpowers is that it takes on different aliases in various cultural environments. For many comparatively wealthy North Americans, views on Bitcoin range from annoying Thanksgiving dinner conversation topics to technological breakthroughs that may sever the state's monopoly over money. At the same time, any American who is underrepresented and underserved by the legacy financial system is more likely to find that Bitcoin is a means of transferring value without having to have a bank account. For some living in Zimbabwe, where the inflation rate is over 100% year over year, Bitcoin is a lifeline against fiat currency devaluation. Salvadoran citizens use Bitcoin as a currency. Vietnamese citizens see Bitcoin as a robust store of value. The list of Bitcoin's various offerings go on. But no matter where you find yourself in the world, Bitcoin should represent freedom. Ironically, for people in the developing world, there are far more important stressors consuming their minds than those of the philosophical musings of Bitcoiners living in the developed world. For example, Tongali or Togolese citizens Just want a means to independently transact and save in a currency that, while volatile, isn't inflating away at an alarming pace. Farida is a Togolese activist who has bravely fought for democracy in her country. She unashamedly speaks out against one of the world's most brutal and one of the continent's longest reigning autocracies. When Farida was just 13 years old, she began her activism by learning from her father, who had followed in his own parents' courageous footsteps. She has founded and led national movements, written over 400 articles, calling out the oppression and dictatorship in Togo, appeared on TED and countless other podcasts, and much more. Farida would tell you that when she first heard about Bitcoin, she was skeptical. But, like many of us, the more she learned about Bitcoin, the more she realized how perfectly it fit with her advocacy for democracy, specifically as it relates to financial freedom and literacy for women and youth. So, here comes the questions. This is sort of an interview back and forth. So, the question is, how did you first learn about Bitcoin, and what specifically drew you to it? Frida responds. I started learning about Bitcoin specifically because I wanted an alternate way of sending money to my country, Togo, without government censorship. My country is ruled by a very repressive military regime that has been in power for 57 years and bans all forms of protests. As an activist, I was working with several others to take action against the regime when the government started arresting people for donating money to the movement. It became apparent that we needed a safe way. To send and receive funds for resistance activities. How do you see Bitcoin positively impacting the lives of children and families in Togo? Uh, The question is a bit cliche. The children of Togo are just like children in the United States or elsewhere. We believe financial education is important for each child, which is why we launched the Bitcoin for Youngsters program in secondary schools this year and have so far trained more than 3,000 students. We launched the program, as we know Bitcoin isn't included on our curricula otherwise, and we know it will play a big role in their future and open their mind to the possible careers of on, and or entrepreneurship. But to say that Bitcoin specifically benefits kids in Togo in the current day is too much of a stretch. So how do you typically respond to those who are dismissive of Bitcoin, especially those close to you? Honestly, I don't reach out to friends and family to teach them about Bitcoin. I never do that because I don't consider myself a Bitcoin evangelist and people are very sensitive and aggressive when it comes to money. And the less they know, the more aggressive they are. I would rather go to communities that have been excluded from the financial system or that need an alternative to the existing ones to teach them about Bitcoin and they always welcome it because it works for them and they need a solution anyway. These are farmers, activists, young people. Now, while seeing me do that, some close friends come to me and ask to learn... And because the request comes from them, not me trying to impose it on them, they are very receptive to it. When it comes to people's money, especially on our part of the continent where incomes are low, yet financial constraints are numerous and the system is difficult to navigate, I am considerate of the fact that people may not want to take major financial risks. Nonetheless, no one is opposed to learning how to protect their money from both the government and inflation. People are keen to build on that knowledge, of course, Many come with a whole lot of misconceptions about Bitcoin, but for those who I have trained, I always start my education with debunking the myths around Bitcoin and then proceed to tell them that they must never entrust anyone with their Bitcoin and should always self-custody. This makes them realize that they have ownership unlike the vast majority of shit coins that literally operate like Ponzi schemes. I start with debunking the myths, then self-custody, and then I explain why it is sound money, but in the end, I am not one of those people who will get into an argument trying to force folks to accept that Bitcoin is the best thing that has ever happened to the world. Oftentimes, those who hate Bitcoin do not need it anyway. Them knowing it is a plus, but they are doing fine with their current system and are happy with it. Last question, in your opinion, why is it important to close the gender gap in Bitcoin interest and adoption? And the answer is education and increased opportunities for women. That's the only way forward. Women, especially in Togo have historically faced economic discrimination. Bitcoin offers us an opportunity to narrow the wealth gap between genders as it is money that does not discriminate and it can be earned by anyone. And, In order for us to achieve this, we need to invest in women's education on Bitcoin and understand that Bitcoin cannot be called freedom money if the most marginalized by the existing financial structures do not have a fair share of it. Bitcoin needs women to thrive. Mm, Okay. Um, What to say about this one? I really like the way that she... I really think that she's kind of spot on when it comes to how she approaches uh, telling people about Bitcoin. It's like not even reaching out to friends and family, but more importantly, recognizing who needs Bitcoin right now. Sure, we may say, well, everybody does. But that's, and while that is definitely the case, they don't see that yet. We're looking way into the future, not, they're looking at today. And they remember yesterday. They're not looking at tomorrow. By and large, I've found that most people are not looking at the future, right? They're looking at today and what happened to their ass yesterday and the day before. That's where they, most of these people exist. She is exactly right. Going and talking to these people that cannot look into the future is that's just, it's just a waste. It's a waste of time and it's going to piss people off. So waiting for people to ask you about it, eh, I can see it, sure, they're more receptive, but there's gotta be some kind of sweet spot. And I think she's found it by identifying the people that are the most marginalized by current financial traditions and institutions. Finding those people means that you're finding a hell of a bigger chance of receptive people than if you're just talking to somebody who actually has a bank account in Togo who actually conducts business with that bank account in Togo. You see what I'm saying? So I think, that, I think that she's got the right idea on being able to identify who is most likely to want to learn about it. Because it sure as shit isn't anybody with a bank account in Togo. They're just fine. Now, geyser. What the hell is geyser.fund? That's G E Y S E R.fund. No, this isn't an advertisement. I don't know anybody, any of the guys over at Geyser, but it is a crowdfunding or crowdsourcing platform. And up until now, you could get to it, but you had to authenticate yourself. Guess where? On the Dead Bird app. Well, they changed that. Guess what they offer now? That's right. Noster, I can sign in with Noster. It's and I did. I'm, I'm looking at the site right now and maybe, you know, maybe I'll throw up like a project on Geyser and say, "Hey, you know, I don't know just just for, you know, I don't know for shits and giggles or something. Like maybe I'll make potato salad and if you've never seen the uh GoFundMe for potato salad, it's hilarious and yes, it was real. The guy actually raised a shit ton of money cuz he wanted to make potato salad. It doesn't matter. The the what's critical to understand here is that let's say you got a project let's say that you've been deleted off of twitter by elon musk and his you know merry band of robbers right well you're not getting you weren't getting on geyser because they needed to authenticate and make sure that you weren't just out there to steal people's money right but now you can authenticate with twitter if you're still doing that but more importantly you can authenticate yourself with Noster. But even more importantly, you can authenticate yourself with your Lightning node. Yep. It takes all it'll 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 do it with a light with a LN node. As far as I can tell, let me say exactly what it says here. Uh Lightning, I'll go to the Lightning thing. Uh do you want to log into Geyser, or connect with Lightning? Scan the QR code to connect your Lightning wallet. Uh, check if your wallet supports LNURL auth here. Uh, and, and right now it's just waiting to connect. So basically it's just, a, I don't even think I need a node. I think I just need a wallet that has LNURL auth support. So now you can go to Geyser Fund and you can use Noster or you can use Lightning to authenticate yourself instead of using Dead Bird app. And this is important. Because the more I work with the private public key pair that is my private public key pair from Noster, and the more that I work with being able to authenticate and you know sign notes with my Lightning node to be able to get into other systems, the, the what was it was Wave Lake. And I love Way I love the guys over at Wave Lake, I love their project, I love what they're doing, but it kind of pissed me off that when I was trying to sign up for it, I had to use my, an email address not that i don't want to i'm just saying dude if you had if you had a uh, Noster authentication then my git alby browser extension would pick that up and it, i would would be one click away from being able to register on wave lake they say that's coming soon but geyser's already done that and i was able to get in simply by telling git alby to log in and then I had to click Get Alby um, authenticate uh, the authenticator screen like two or three times, and I was in for Geyser. I cannot wait for all these sites to start doing that. And this is one of the reasons why legacy dies because once you get get a situation where I don't have to wait for an email and then I have to put in a code in back into the website that they sent me from the email and all that bullshit, which I know says like, oh well, God, first world problems. I get it. But if you can just sit there and just go click, 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 and boom, you're in and you're authenticated. I don't see how I don't see how the email situation actually competes at that point for user experience and ease of onboarding. There it was it's so frictionless to be able to just click my get Albi authorization, uh, <clears throat> little pop-up window three or four times and boom, I'm, I'm done. I'm in, I'm in Geyser. I can, I can log into Geyser right freaking now. And it's amazing. So geyser.fund, G-E-Y-S-E-R.fund. If you need to crowdsource a project or something like that, now you can log in with lightning address or your, uh, Noster public private key pair. What do we got here? What's left? Do we have anything left? Uh, Yeah, there's some some shit coinery going on here with the bald meme coin on Coinbase's blockchain. Uh, Apparently, a trader turned $500 into a million dollars within like 24 hours. But then subsequently, bald token plunged 90% as the developer pulled the liquidity. That's a scam. What and the reason I'm I'm not I'm not going to read you the stories. We're going to end with this, but the reason that I'm bringing it back up is that it looks like I was right. Alt season this time around is going to be very brutal, and it's going to be populated by people that aren't even trying to look like they're offering some kind of value or make it look like they're not actually an unregistered security. Because Annalisa Torres, our good judge from the what Southern District of New York in the federal court system, basically said, as long as you uh, put your coin on Coinbase, you can sell as much of it as you want. Okay. So all I have to do is pre-mine like ETH, you know, 70 million pre-mine coins and then sell 30 million over to over on a CoinDesk and, and all of a sudden it's not an unregistered security and value of my token skyrockets because I pre-mined it and it's out on, you know, getting, gaining market liquidity because I put it on Coinbase. Yeah, that's going to help. That's, that's going to help. A lot of people get poor really fast. Again, end with a, end with a plea that says, don't wait to reach out to your friend, your friends and family before they start getting hosed by the alt season that is now directly upon us. It's going to get worse from here. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes here on this Monday. I asked a librarian if she had a book about Pavlov's dog and Schrodinger's cat. She said it rang a bell but she wasn't sure if it was there or not. Use podcasting 2.0. If you got to know how you can support the show, you can stream me Satoshi's. You can give me boostograms. If you got a question about something, you know, shoot, shoot it over off on a boostogram and I will read it during the show. Um, If you want to, you can also go to God forbid. (laughs) You can go over to Patreon that would be, uh, was it, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast if you want to support the show in a more fiat way. I know for many, many people, it's it's easier to part with uh, fiat cash than it is to part with your Bitcoin. So there's I, I have that method if you so choose. Uh, other than that, that's going to do it for Monday's show, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and...